Small businesses are at the heart of the U.S. economy. Here at Nurture Small Business Podcast, we're dedicated to seeing our small business owners succeed. I am your host, Denise Kagan, president of DCA Virtual Business Support. If you like what you hear on today's podcast, please share it. You have my gratitude for doing so. Margaret Wheatley once said, when we take a step or make a decision, we are tugging at the webs of relationships that are seldom visible, but always present. Today's guest, Sally Loftus, is tugging at the webs of relationships that hold our systems of injustice in place. Welcome, Sally. Welcome, Denise. When I heard you say that, I thought, wow, that's a great quote. Wait, I think it sounds familiar to me. (laughs) Yeah, I took it directly from you. Yeah. I took it directly from you. I did not get creative here. I was like, this is perfect way to introduce you. (laughs) Thank you. So um, you are the managing partner of Loftus uh, Partners. Yes, Loftus Partners. And one of the other things, like I told you, I scoured your website. Your website says Mm -hmm. Loftus Partners works at the intersection of human resources, organization development and social justice you ready so i am yeah (laughs) tell me about yeah thank you denise it's so good to be on here today i really appreciate the opportunity um you know the whenever i tell people kind of what do you do because my background is traditionally in human resources and then have kind of always worked on the strategy side of that and most recently Um, Got a master's degree in organization development, which if people aren't familiar with that, that's a lot of like organization design and change, systems change. Um, And then also social justice, which is something I've been working in for almost 10 years now. And so kind of the intersection of that Venn diagram of work, I'm still exploring, but a big piece of that is pay equity work which is a passion of mine, but also is kind of becoming my leading work within the human resources consulting space. You know, I am both an alumni of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. I'm also a member of NABO, actually on the board this year. And that is the the pay equity thing is uh, we talk about that a lot because there is a huge disparity, both based on gender and race. Um, within mm-hmm. the workforce. So tell me what you're seeing out there as far as, you know, trends and topics and concerns from employers. Yeah, it, it is a big topic, right? And, you know, a lot of times people come into pay equity spaces, you know, kind of, I would say the three main lanes of traffic, right, are, you know, employees are saying they want to be paid more. And it might be employees that you're trying to hire, might be employees that are working for you now, or maybe you're noticing people are leaving to go to another employer employer who pays more. Um, you know, another lane of traffic would be uh, pay transparency, which is happening in some states and cities within the United, United States. And depending on the size of your business will depend on kind of what level of transparency is required of you. And then kind of the third piece is people working within maybe the diversity, equity, inclusion space or, you know, social justice or something and see pay equity as a systems change um, in that space. And so, you know, it is, it, it, and once, you know, pay equity is a big topic and um, it's a big financial topic, right? Because, you know, whenever you pay and, you know, employees are a big part of your budget. And so when you start kind of tinkering with that, 
um, people get a little antsy uh, because that can be increased cost and may not always see kind of the return on investment for that. Well, I would probably challenge that a little bit. I, I think there is a return on investment. I bet you can speak to it better than I can. Yeah, I was like, you saw me shaking my head because there is a return on investment. So a couple of ways I will share with people. One is, you know, we are currently in a place where there's a labor shortage, right? So it's it's a difficult hiring space. In some places, some people don't have that issue depending on ge- geography, type of role, whatever. But a lot of times it's hard to find people um, and to pay them in a way that will keep them at a job and also not pay them maybe more than what the other people at the organization are paying are being paid, right? Because that can cr- create some issues and even more inequities. But then also like just thinking about, you know, the average employee when they change jobs gets about a seven and a half percent increase. And if they stay at their organization, they get about a five and a half percent increase, you know, year over year. And so just that 2% can make a huge difference in your, um, in your productivity and also in your profitability, because, you know, the thought of losing someone, you know, might take you 60 to 90 days to hire someone. And then it's going to take probably 30 to 90 days, if not longer, to get that new person back up to full productivity. The cost of those six months alone could are probably more on top of all the people who are doing the recruiting, the interviewing, you know, all of that are probably more than what it would have cost to close maybe that 2% pay gap. I totally agree. You know, what's interesting is I've been hearing and reading a lot about how that labor shortage, that labor tightness is not really going to go away with the baby boomers, which was the largest generation kind of moving out of the workforce. The other generations that come behind it, they have different, first of all, different values and ideas. Um, And a lot of them are choosing self-employment over working for others. And then also that there's simply just less of them in those successive generations. So the labor shortage is here to stay, if I'm not mistaken. You are absolutely correct, Denise. And even thinking about the options of remote work has created a major, and I would say a permanent shift in the workforce in a couple of ways. One, just within the United States, right? Remote jobs, you could potentially work from anywhere. Um, so that changes who's available for you for jobs that are available for remote work, right? So not every job is available for that. The other piece is that you could actually work for an organization outside the United States. And mm. so now we have a global um, recruiting, you know, happening within our country. And so the options are so open now that it's really important for businesses to sit down and say, who are the people we want to have in our business? Because it's the people who make the difference, right? The employees are the ones who are making the difference. And let's be intentional about designing, um, you know, figuring out who we want to be here and how to maintain um, and grow the people who are here. I agree with that 100%. So shifting ever so slightly on pay, stay, staying still on pay equity. So let's say just kind of throwing a, a hypothetical situation out there. So say you have a pay range of this to this 
for mm-hmm. this position. Mm-hmm. Is can can business owners pay for performance still or do they have to how does that work with trying to maintain equity because it feels a little tricky to maneuver potentially. Yes. Um <laughs> I doesn't say Denise. I feel like you. I, I need you to come ask me these questions in front of everyone all the time. These are, you know, absolutely it is tricky. Um, I, you know, a lot of times I will work with businesses and say, you know, I think we need to consciously uncouple your performance management from pay, because um, there have been so many studies about our rating systems within performance management. The subjectivity of those are not as objective as we think they are. There's a lot of biases in there, so. It's really helping organizations think about, are there different pathways to um, people growing their pay that aren't necessarily tied to performance um, and aren't necessarily always tied to they've got to go up a tier in the hierarchy or the structure, right? Because a lot of, if you're a small business, there may only be so many positions or so many, you know, leadership levels. So how do you figure out a way to retain an employee and give them some growth whenever it could be 10 years before, you know, they buy your business or, you know, I mean, whatever. So there's, there's a lot of creativity and options there because you can create pathways around tenure, work experience, skills and certification, you know, maybe interim roles if someone leaves. Um, It doesn't just have to always be tied to performance. Interesting. And do you consult businesses on this? Is that part of what you do? I do. Yeah, I do. And it's really connected tightly to that kind of what, what is our, you know, a lot of times it's what is our pay philosophy, but you know, what I have found is that pay equity tends to be a linchpin. Um, And so when you pull it out, there's a lot of other HR things that kind of fall out um, whenever you pull that pin out. And so you know, it's really because then it gets into, you know, how are people promoted? What's our performance management system? Who do we hire? You know, how do we pay? What are the benefits? How does this impact our culture? Um, you know, a lot of other stuff. So it's kind of really looking at it from a more holistic standpoint and thinking how to be strategic. Because one thing that people miss is when you do that and really address pay equity head on, it actually gives you more financial stability in the future because you have a better idea of what you're doing rather than reacting to the market all the time. Yes. And I have seen that a lot lately, you know, just business owners, you know, just throwing money at people literally to get them to come work there without consideration if they're actually a really good fit. Hence the boomerang group that's happening right now. (laughs) Yeah. And I've seen a lot, you know, just to kind of build on what you said, Denise, I've seen a lot of organizations that have maybe thrown more money out because they're desperate to get people in the door, but haven't equally thrown that money to the people who stayed. And so you may have, I'm seeing a lot of organizations who maybe their entry-level positions, that pay has gone up, which has been desperately needed, by the way. You know, um, and maybe the, you know, higher ups maybe make more money, but like there's been a lot of salary compression in that middle level for the people who have stayed, um, you know, and really need equal amounts thrown at them because they have stayed and given you stability, institutional knowledge, experience that you can't find out on the job market always. 
No, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. So this new hot thing about pay transparency, it's a big com- conversation lately. And I know the laws are not the same in every single state. So can you mm-hmm. share with me a little bit about, you know, what, how you work with people with pay transparency? Yeah, typically, you know, sometimes people will come at this from a legal compliance standpoint, and obviously that's super important, right? Um, And whenever I say states and territories, cities all have different ones, you know, the California pay transparency is not the same as Colorado, right? You know, the size of your business. Sometimes it may be like how much revenue you have, how many employees you have, you know, where you operate within that geographic location. So there's definitely kind of some legal requirements there. Um, so what I'll work with people um, and businesses on is, you know, as you're getting into legal compliance, there's also a piece of building trust with your employees. So whenever you are posting the salary range for a job opening you have, is that the first time everybody in the company is going to see that information? Or have you shared that mm-hmm. internally and it not be a surprise to everybody in the organization? Because they may look at that and be like, wait a minute, I'm in that position and that pay range is way bigger, you know, than what I'm getting or way smaller, which I'm assuming they're not going to tell you that, Um, you know, but I mean like, hey, that pay range is way bigger than what I'm doing, you know, what I've been told what's, you know, what's going on with that. So being able to do this well and have conversations with employees is a really great way to build trust and transparency within the organization, which are two things that are desperately needed right now. Agreed. So why, as a business owner, I think it would just behoove us all to just put that, you know, this is our range in your job ads and to cover our butts, basically. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to do that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish everyone would do that and do it with some, you know, a couple of things. One is that people are scared to do it because they probably know they don't pay as well as other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Another reason people may be fearful to do that is they don't have a really good understanding of how their pay is structured within the organization, like why you pay this range for this position. Um, Another piece I find is that sometimes there will be managers who don't have access to their employee salary data, like it's managed, it's kind of centralized somewhere else. And so they're not prepared to have those kinds of conversations if somebody asks about that in an Mm. interview. Um, You know, and then another piece of it is that sometimes people can put ranges in there and, you know, there's the example of, I think it was like Netflix in New York or something had a job posting where it was like anywhere from 90,000 to 900,000 or, so, you know, I mean, it was like they, people can put these wild <laughs> ranges in there and it's not helping you sort out who's going to want to, you know, who's going to want to come work for you and what qualifications are needed. So it's a trust building action on behalf of the business to put that out there because they're saying we want, you know, it's showing a level of transparency that people are looking for now um, and will be probably more willing to pursue because they have an understanding of the pay rather than getting through a screening, an initial interview, and, you know, maybe an interview with the business owner. And then you find out what the pay is and you're like, well, there's no way I can do this. And you've wasted some, you know, you've wasted everybody's time in the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we, when we interview, you know, and I tell candidates that, hey, 
we're interviewing you, but you also have to feel that it's a fit for us. So by the time mm-hmm. we get to our the end of our second interview, we're we're asking, well, what do you think about coming to work here? Because if they're kind of hem hawing, they're telling me it's not a fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's super important because you're right. It is. It's trying to kind of figure you're entering into this major relationship with someone, right? Mm-hmm. We don't use those terms, you know, because that kind of sounds intimate. But I mean, this is where somebody's going to be spending at least 40, you know, well, if it's a typical full-time job, you know, 40 hours a week, you're going to be working together on things, especially if it's yours, you know, you own the business or co-owner, something that means a lot to you and puts food on the table. So it's important to really start that relationship strong and build trust along the way and, you know, listen you know, have that two-way relationship because it only builds for better performance. Absolutely. So if you could give me an example of like a tricky situation that you've helped a company work through, obviously without naming the company, but just so, so our, so our listeners have an idea of how you work. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. So around pay equity. A pay equity say. or transparency, either or. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, you know, something I'll come up with is um, we will work with an, you know, I've had an organization where um, it had like, you know, 40 to 50 employees. And as we went through, and so typically I'll go in, if we're doing pay equity, I'll start with an assessment where we get all your pay data and kind of some identity markers, like their geographic location, their um, you know, their role in the organization, their gender identity, race, ethnicity, things like that. And so we'll start kind of looking at what are the ranges within the different levels. So that might be a piece where they don't really kind of have a cohesive system. They do it position by position versus being like kind of having some salary bands. Uh, another piece that we may come through and look at as we go through and look at it by department and may, you know, say, hey, like this department is paid so much higher than everybody else. Like, tell me what's going on there. So it's always entering into this process of kind of pay equity assessment with a sense of curiosity, not judgment. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a lot of times you come into a position, let's say, you know, I'm a HR person or whatever, um, that comes into this new organization. Well, I've inherited what everybody's pay is. This is not you know, I've inherited a lot of decisions that have been made before I'm there. So that are not going to be undone. So it may just be like, hey, so that's why we say come in with a sense of curiosity, not judgment, because you can just be like, hey, what happened there? Like, what's going on there? So like this one department was getting paid a lot more. And, you know, we went back to kind of leadership and had a conversation and we're like, you know, what, tell us why. They're like, well, you know, this value, you know, we value, we think that's the most valuable department in the organization. And then it was like, well, they're not the customer facing department. So tell me why, you know, but it was like, basically what had happened is in the past, that particular department was one where it was really difficult to hire for the skills they had Mm. 10, 15 years ago. And had just kind of kept doing that. And so, but then never kind of updated the organ, you know, updated the process. And so we were able to say, okay, let's talk. Where are you now as an organization? Is that still true? You know, is that still like a job that's 
you know, because at the time that job was something that was new, it had a new skill set that not many people had. So that's not true anymore. Now it's pretty common. So that's just like one example mm-hmm. of things that may come out. One of many, many examples of things that may come out um, of a pay equity assessment. Reminds me of the story of cutting the ends off the ham. And you do that because your mom did it, but your mom did it because she had a small roaster and your roaster will shit it. Do you remember that story? Yes, that is a great example, Denise. <laughs> it's like, this that is, is a the gr- way we've done it. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, a lot of times there's, you know, because so often it's the way we've done it because we've not had time to stop and reflect mm. and stop and think about it. And so I think we're in this really unique situation right now within the work place is that so many of us are thinking differently because of what we've been through in the last few years with the pandemic and everything. So it's a really great time to kind of think and approach with a sense of curiosity, not judgment of like, why do we do this? Like, is this still true? Like, let's kind of, you know, maybe we need to update that. And so when organizations realize like, oh, okay, so we don't need that anymore, or wow, that's probably not accurate any longer, um, or oops, we made a mistake, whichever the case may be. <laughs> yeah. How do you guide them through that? It's going to be a process. You know, typically we're kind of working through, you know, always money is always in that conversation, right? So it may be what I find most often that people are not paying enough in certain positions. And so, you know, we're kind of working in tandem of there's obviously some kind of processes or procedures, you know, like I've said, maybe it's around performance management or maybe it's around the promotion process. So we're working on that. And then also looking at if we get you up to date per se, or get you into a competitive space for talent, what, how much money will that cost? And then not every, of course, not every business is able to do that, you know, overnight, So we will work with businesses and say, okay, what can you do now? How can we build towards this? And it might also be a different way, for instance, of salary benchmarking. You know, a lot of times people don't think about cost of living. That's really been, cost of living has been something everybody's become aware of in the last three years, but has always been out there. So, you know, sometimes it's just working with a group and being like, you know, the cost of living where you're operating is $95,000 a year. Um, and you're paying 50000 and they're going to be like, well, I can't give everybody a $40,000, you know, increase this year, you know, and so we'll say, well, let's, okay, so what can you do? Let's just kind of work our way towards that. So we try to be realistic with people and understand, like, you can't, if I could wave a magic wand and solve all these problems with all the money in the world, I would do it. But unfortunately, I've not been given that capability. <laughs> I don't think any of us have. Um, and so then forward facing with their team members, their their employees. Do you help coach and guide them also on like, here's how you present this. Here's how you roll it out. Absolutely. It It, it is a process. One thing that we try to, um, in our firm, always try to approach everything as a co-creation process. So how this is going to work in an individual business, while there's definitely some best practices and principles that are really helpful, is always going to look different based on the makeup of the business we're working with. So based on where your employees are or based on what your financial situation is or based on, you know, the leadership buy-in. So part of that is also employee buy-in, is really communicating with employees. So what I find is that pay equity, 
you know, we do the assessment, the reports, you know, that work. It's just as important to involve your employees in the process and communicate and hear from them because pay is not something we typically talk about at work, at least not in public forums. Um, Maybe in like a forum where everybody's telling the senior leader, you need to pay us more, but not like I've never shown up to a team meeting and the discussion be like, y'all, let's talk about like pay structure, you know, pay today. How do you feel about pay? (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a ticking time bomb, right? You know, you're like, I don't want to talk about that. So the conversations are happening. We just don't feel comfortable talking about it because a lot of times we can't explain how it's structured. So it's really important we work with organizations to help them structure, get these structures in place in a way that everybody understands them. And, you know, if they were asked to go set the pay for somebody, they could understand how to do that immediately. So who is your ideal client? Mm. Ideal client. I would say I've really gotten to where I really enjoy working with small businesses and nonprofits. Obviously I've worked with corporate, you know, groups and bigger groups, but I find that um, those groups want more like a much bigger firm, you know, than, um, than, you know, they want 40 consultants working on it versus just a few. And so I really enjoy working with small businesses um, and nonprofits because the decision makers are pretty clear a lot of times and it's really revolutionary work for these groups that a lot of times the feedback I get from clients is like, I've kind of sensed this in my body or like, this makes sense to me. I've just never heard the words for it. And so I find that people find a lot more satisfaction in their jobs when they're able to participate in that process um, and make these kinds of decisions and kind of rise up as a leader. And that tends to be kind of small businesses and nonprofits. Great. So after the podcast, how can our listeners find you? Yes, you can find me in multiple ways. One is I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm on there many times a week, uh, Sally Loftus, L-O-F-T-I-S. And uh, also my company has a page, Loftus Partners. And we also have a monthly email, which I'll send the links to Denise that you can get to that I send out with just kind of updates of seminars and trainings we're doing and things that are happening. I'll also have a newsletter on LinkedIn that publishes on the first Friday of each month called Fully Human Resources, which is really about people-positive approaches to human resources. I like and of that. course, we have our company website. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to connect with me. And also, you know, feel free. You'll see on my website, you know, you can email me or message me on LinkedIn. Happy to hop on the phone with you for a few minutes to kind of talk through, brainstorm with you. I love hearing people's stories. Perfect. I... We'll make sure all of those links are in our show notes. And Sally, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Denise. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you for joining me for today's Nurture Small Business podcast, where the focus is on business growth through technology, leadership, and people strategies. Do you have an idea for a podcast or feedback you'd like to share with me? Send me a note through my website at dcavirtual.com slash contact. Thank you for having me.